thanks for joining us today. This is a different Draycott Diaries, but it's probably the biggest privilege we've ever been given. We have re-edited the podcast that we first recorded with Sophie back in February 2020. It was just the most lovely chat we had together. I remember vividly that, yes, it was a cold day, but Sophie arrived on a bicycle and there bounced into the house. And it was so evident talking to her about her love, not only for her family, um, but obviously for the house that she built brick by brick. The amazing story she told me of living in a military tent with her family and sub-zero temperatures. All of these you will hear a little later in the programme. This was made with the permission of her family. And I also wanted to say that we've got a selection of music and poetry throughout this programme that was selected by Sophie. It's very sad, and I know so many of us knew her and loved her. So it's so important that we now think of her and hopefully this podcast will bring back some happy and poignant memories. Well, I'm very happy this morning to be sitting next to Sophie Courtier. I believe it's actually pronounced Sophie Courtier. I've asked Sophie today whether she would be kind enough to tell me a little bit more about her work with Willow specifically, because most of us who drive fairly regularly going towards Wells will notice Sophie's house as you pull out of Rodney Stoke on the left. There are all these beautiful, beautiful animal sculptures made out of Willow. Sophie, welcome to Draycott Diaries. Thank you very much, Diggy. Thank you for giving us your time. I refer to you as a willow artist. Is that correct? Is that how you name your profession? Possibly willow artist or willow sculptor. As from the artist's point of view, I never went into the art room when I was at school. I'd chosen to do, I went to a girls' school and chosen to do modern maths and German and kind of lumped into the non-artistic section of the school. So did table mats and uh, calligraphy, not, never picked up a paintbrush or, so I, this side of my life was completely undiscovered until I started to work with Willow. So what prompted that introduction to working with Willow? When I moved to Rodney Stoke, I brought with me a hurdle fence because we lived right on the edge, right on the road. And People were knocking at the door saying, oh, where did you get your... There was hazel hurdles. Where did you... Hazel, so what was the hazel second word? hurdles. Oh, the hurdles. Sort of okay. fence, fencing hurdles. All panels. right, okay, yeah. Where did you get them? And well, I'd got them in, from near Shaftesbury where they grow a lot of hazel. And when I had my third child, I realised I was... This is quite a long story, Diggy, I'm afraid. <laughs> I realised I was going to be at home again for another little section of time and possibly needed to do something from home. And I thought, well, people are knocking on the door. There's a market there. How hard could it be? Hazel hurdles. So I went and cut some. I had a little baby Lucy. Um, that she was little and wrapped up in blankets. And I used to take her into the take her into the woods 
and park her safely under a tree and go off cutting hazel until she woke up and then come back and pick her up and off we'd go home with quite hard work but it, she's a gardener now she must have woken up looking at looking up into the trees I think as a baby that's such a lovely image <laughs> yes yes of, of a, you know of a child nestled under the yes the warmth or uncover of a tree yes. while you while you cut down the hazel yes, yes. Well, what a great way to start your career. Yes. And these hurdles, just to, because I know you can have living willow and living mm-hmm. hurdle. Were these living hurdle walls? or no, were, they, they, these were, were Yeah, no, these were made with hazel. And it is okay, quite, a, quite difficult. Luckily, I had a few friends who I could ring and say, look, I'm getting stuck on the twisting or the, or the splitting or whatever. And they'd give me handy hints. And my first order went to the Bishop of Salisbury, because I knew his gardener, who had said, this is your first order, you must, which was a very good motivation, you had to do it. And then, so I I did make hurdles for a while. It's not a way to make a lot of money, I can tell you. But I had a friend in Rodney Stoke, Ewan, who was an artist. And one day he said, in my artist magazine, there's a weekend workshop, building a big sculpture on the banks of the River Parrot for artists why didn't you go on it? And said, well, I'm not an artist, and why don't you? And so we both held hands and went together (laughs) and discovered Willow. And it's one of those materials, if you go on a workshop or you start to handle it, some people, it it just grabs them and you want to work with it. And is that what happened to you? Yeah. And then I thought, well, you know, I could make Willow hurdles after having worked with the willow, making this big thing that we burned on, you know, that sort of ceremonial thing. And so started combining willow and hazel and then very slowly started uh, working on little sculpture things. Not, I had no technique or anything like that. One day I was visiting a, an, a little exhibition at Fine Court and I looked at some, there were some willow and hazel furniture. The people manning the store weren't there. Um, there was a, an old guy on the next stall carving birds out of wood, uh, Colin. And I said to him, I, I'm really quite interested in this furniture, but no, they're not there. He said, I'll take your name and um, number and pass it on when they come back. And then a couple of weeks later, I'd never heard from the furniture makers. Colin rang and said, how would you, how would you like to make um, a sculpture during a live hedge-laying competition on the Blackdown Hills. So I said, well, my first reaction was, absolutely no. <laughs> That's Hell. Bit, yes, a bit bigger than I had in Out mind. Out of my comfort zone. Yes, though. very much so. Yeah. And then, luckily, within that phone call, a bit of me went, what have I got to lose? <gasps> Nobody knows me from Adam. If it all goes pear-shaped, I just... This is the perfect time to do it. <laughs> yes, it is. Although, and I, I was so nervous, honestly. Um, and he said... We, you know, there are a lot of farmers. The Blackdown Hills is a very rural area. Lovely, lovely area. There are a lot of farmers there and hed- old hedge layers and things like that. Would you like to make a bull? Well, personally, I wasn't in the mood for making a bull. I said, no, but I will make a horse leaping over a fence. Sorry, I just have to go back there. What's the difference about being in the mood to make a bull or not want to make a bull, but you are in the mood to make a horse? I, I think because my husband, had, we just separated... Right, I think it's a bit that's, masculine. <laughs> I see. So there was a little bit of anti, frankly, anti male things. Yeah, well, okay, a moment there. Yes, fine. So back to the back, horse. Yes. So I thought, well, I know hurdles, 
So I can make a hurdle, and I know that's a skill I can have, and I really know horses inside out. So that's what I did. I went down one day with, with the boys and little Lucy and made the hurdle before the competition with some hazel and some beech. And then on the next day, during the competition, made the horse leaping over. Looking, looking at a photograph, looking back, technically not brilliant, but the feeling that had been in me because I hadn't ridden for, I don't know, 30 years or something like that, was you could get on this horse and gallop off. Oh, just the feeling. Just and have a photo of our friend's daughter sitting on top of us looking like she's going to go across the field. So that that really was the sort of launch. What is this connection with horses? I trained when I left home, worked with horses, and that was all I knew. I'd done weekend work and things like that. So I, went, I got a job with horses, then I trained to teach the qualified instructor and then worked for various people with horses and eventually wound up training with this Belgian guy on the edge of Dartmoor in classical dressage with Philippisanas and Andalusians and really riding in a very different style to the way that most of the British road were talking about you know, 40 years ago. I took another job when I finished working with him with a master of the Exmoor staghounds I had one season and I just thought, no, I can't go with this style of riding anymore. And met my husband and gave up riding and then had family. I have started riding since. Oh, you have? Oh, good. Yeah, recent, more recently, very much more recently. Now, you mentioned family there, Sophie, and one thing... Gosh, I don't know how many years ago you'll you'll fill in the gaps, man. But I remember driving past a plot mm-hmm. on the left hand side, which is now your very beautiful home. I call it an eco home, but yes, I'm sure it, it, it is an eco. Yeah. And on this plot, then there was nothing but a little tent, and I believe you lived there on your own. You were a single parent with your children, who were fairly quite young then. Went through one of the severest winters we've had, and then went on to build yourself your own eco home is that right that's that's more or less right we the house is built on what was the site of a little tin garage we had a bit of land that sort of stretched up up a narrow strip of land that stretched up the hill and when i sold the house that we lived in we moved into actually quite a large maintenance army maintenance tent <laughs> at the top of the garden. Um, the boys both had their own separate tents because they were just about of an age where they wouldn't dream of sharing. with mum. <laughs> exactly. What ages were they then? Oh, Tom was just about doing his GCSEs and, okay. and Fee was two years younger. And Lucy was four years younger than that, so she was about 10. She loved it. She, did, she really did well. Um, Felix probably never camp again in his life. <laughs> <laughs> and Tom... Is very, very interested and has been on a course building earthships, which are like cob mud built houses in what he went to South America. So two out of three. Yeah. It's not bad. <laughs> it, the, especially yeah. when you went through temperatures to oh, say minus 10. Minus 10. I never knew that we had, to, we drank bottled water because we didn't have a water supply up there. And 
at minus 10, what is a liquid water in a bottle, once you release the lid and pour it out for teeth cleaning before school, it froze in the glass. So you learn something new. But you also said something rather interesting about you never had a cold or any illness during that time because your immune system, you say, operates better when it's cold? I think so. None of us fell ill. And we were really cold, I can tell you. We used to get dressed to go to bed at night. Freezing dusk is closing like a slow trap of steel on trees and roads and hills and all that can no longer feel. But the carp is in its depth like a planet in its heaven and the badger in its bedding like a loaf in the oven and the butterfly in its mummy like a violin in its case and the owl in its feathers like a doll in its lace. Freezing dusk has tightened like a nut screwed tight on the starry aeroplane of the soaring night. But the trout is in its hole like a chuckle in a sleeper. The hare strays down the highway like a root going deeper. The snail is dry in the outhouse like a seed in a sunflower. The owl is pale on the gatepost like a clock on its tower. Moonlight freezes the shaggy world like a mammoth of ice. The past and the future are the jaws of a steel vice. But the cord is in the tide rip like a key in a purse. The deer are on the bare-blown hill like smiles on a nurse. The flies are behind the plaster like the lost score of a jig. Sparrows are in the ivy clump like money in a pig. Such a frost, the flimsy moon has lost her wits. A star falls. The sweating farmers turn in their sleep like oxen on spits. And in between this, you were building this house. Did you well, build it on your own? No, no. I was what you'd call... Project sort of, manager? Yes, it sounds a bit grand, but yes. I mean, I, I did some of the buying of the materials and did whatever the builders would let me. It is an eco-house. It was double width cavities for insulation. The roof is recycled plastic tiles, There's recycled paper insulation, breathing walls, wood-fired heat system, no oil or gas connected. And you designed it? I worked with an architect. Wanted it to be quite a simple house, and not, not, no frills, but it works very well. Mm. You know. And it's totally heated by wood? Is yes, that right? totally heated by wood. And what I love about this, this cycle of community and cycle of life is you were saying to me that your friends were Di and David Ginger, yes. sheep farmers, and that you help out at lambing, and in return they give you wood, which yes. you then take back, heat your house. Yes. For me, that just ticks all the boxes. For community, community. absolutely. Turn to Willow because I'm fascinated by it and by your work. One thing that's always crossed my mind when I've been out walking with the dogs is, particularly on Draycott Moor and around Rondy Stoke, that, that I look at Willow all the time because Somerset Levels is synonymous with Willow. Is it all one Willow? Do you make make these sculptures out of all one Willow? Are there different types? There are hundreds of different types. Hundreds? Of hundreds. Um, various colours, various workability, as they'd say. There's probably about half a dozen that get grown in a large quantity for basket or sculpture or fencing work. The willow that you'll see on the moor here is is not really workable. I think you'll probably find it's crack willow or goat willow. 
the sticks it pollarded willow the sticks might have been used for the uprights in fencing the hurdle fencing that because I was talking about because it's more rigid about. is it that's right so it's not as flexible um, the willow that I'd use for sculpture or the workshops would be I mean there's a variety called Salix triandra black moor which is one of the most commonly grown varieties what an old basket maker would call kind to use there's quite a few others there's Dicky Meadows, which is very nice willow to use. There's Flounders Red, there's um, Dark Dicks, Green Dicks, and quite a lot of others that I probably can't remember. These amazing <laughs> yeah. names. Are they old Somerset names? Yeah, they, they are, yeah. So tell us a little bit more. I'd love to go back um, in history a little bit. What is what is this connection particularly with Somerset levels and the history of willow? After be aware that I don't slip into my patter that I use for a workshop. But some... Try not to. <laughs> I'll try not try to. Try to do something more original for Drake or Diaries. I'll try. Because we'll know. <laughs> yes, okay. So, yes, some people will know. Uh, <laughs> Somerset does actually grow some of the best willow in the world. So it's really an important part of our heritage. And we export it. I, work, I do a lot of work and buy from the Musgrove family based at Western Zoyland near Bridgewater. We exported all over the world, and probably about six weeks ago, I had a woman called Bonnie came from New York State to see some of the work I've done, and she gets all her willow from Western Zoyland, gets sent over to New York State. It goes everywhere. Occasionally, at the end of the season, sort of October, November time, they might run quite low on willow and have to import, and we nearly always know whether it's Somerset willow or not. There's just a little something about the way it grows in the peat, which sits on top of clay, the temperature, um, marvellous rainfall. Yes, <laughs> All of those best. things yeah. that must add up to making it really a very good place to grow willow. So it's now grown commercially mm. for, I mean, I imagine lot, a lot more things than just sculpture. <laughs> uh, that's fascinating. So just... We're talking about something that is still being done now, yes. but in generations gone by, well, well before you and I were, yeah. were born, whereas families were were harvesting the willow yeah. and going through the process, and indeed the whole family was involved in this. Yeah, there were lots of small willow growers, and sadly, I don't think, I mean, families, they don't particularly want to carry on. It's hard work. They you know, don't want to go on, and the small ones seem to have died out. And it seems to be more four or five quite large willow growers now. Okay. It's the way of the world. And, and so we, uh, we need to touch, I think, on environmental issues because they're so key at the moment, especially with this ghastly, horrible business we're having with, with plastics. Is willow, what is willow's place in, in it now? Because I'm assuming, maybe wrongly, that it might come back more in demand, more in fashion, because it is a sustainable and bio-friendly alternative to, to the stuff that we have now, which is too easy to use. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it is well, it's a, absolutely a renewable resource. It's yes. what would be called a coppice product. So every year it would be cut to the ground and grow again. So it's a material that is... Totally sustainable. Totally sustainable. A, a withy bed would last probably about 25 to 30 years before you want to replant. Yes, I mean, if I suppose days gone by, most villages would have had a basket maker who would make make baskets for you. Um, 
making a very simple basket is not that hard. And uh, I think, yeah, you're right. There is room for people to get a little bit creative and make a basket. Are you seeing any signs of that? Are you seeing people... There's a big interest in people actually making, working on... Um, making sculptures, that's mainly what I do. There's quite a difference between the sculpture side of it and the basket making side of it. Basket making is, can be quite precise, and I'm not so precise. <laughs> Your sculptures look pretty precise to me. <laughs> yeah, a little bit probably freer than uh, a basket maker would make it. So, you yeah, know, there is definitely a big interest. One of the things I didn't mention about the the Willow Willow Yard, the Musgrove family. The the main expansion is Willow Coffins. Oh, of course, really big expanding section of the business. Of course, mm. yeah, that's you. Well, say, sadly, we see too many of them. But but in but in in a, a in a referential and a beneficial way, mm. and that that is a rather lovely thing. Isn't it is. It, it is. They have started to die. <laughs> Die willow. I was a little bit um, yes. reserved about that. Mm, yes. <laughs> I think they use uh, natural, no, sure. relatively natural food dyes and things. So if Auntie Flo really loved pink, you could have a pink flat around the willow. And I've seen rainbow-coloured coffins coming out and <gasps> things like that. And uh, a few weeks ago, I was running a workshop at the Musgroves, and there were two sisters making mum's coffin and the children children were there too and uh, running around and enjoying it and they were actually making you can actually go and on a course or whatever and make your own what for you is your best seller well i suppose that my bread and butter really is the, the workshops although i have to say if i can get a, a big horse made or something like that that's probably what i really like how long would it take to make a full-size horse in Willow? Oh, it depends on my mood. Yeah, let's, <laughs> let's just go with the thought that you're a happy mood. Yes, and keen. Yes, and keen and yeah. had your coffee. And, yes, yeah. yeah. Um, probably, mm, probably about a week, something oh, like that. Oh, is that all? I thought you'd say months, the work looks so Yes, if I'm, if, it's funny. I mean, if you talk to any other, other artists, I've got a friend who, who paints and he says sometimes he can, and he's he's very good. Um, sometimes he can sit at his easel or stand at his easel, and the picture just comes out of his hands. And sometimes he can set the whole thing up in exactly the same way, and it takes months, <laughs> or you even have to put it aside. And it's the same, the same with the sculpture. Sometimes it just comes out, and it's almost like I'm hardly controlling it. Everything is in the right place. Oh, I have to ask a quick question. My friend who did your course last year just wants to know very briefly. She made, I don't know what she's made, but she said she loves it. It's in good, the front good. room. I yeah. think it's an animal. <laughs> she says, how does she continue to preserve it now? Okay. Well, if it's inside, it's going to last very well. Just need dusting now and then. <laughs> yeah, I'm not sure she's been on dusting the last no, not either. But just covering all my bases yeah, if it's so outside. outside yeah. It isn't going to last forever, but one of the ways that I tend to make it last a little bit longer, Willow, is you could spray it with a mix of 50-50 boiled linseed oil and terps or terp substitute. And what that does, it doesn't seal it. It doesn't really like to be sealed. If it is sealed with a varnish, it will break down quickly inside that seal. What it does is actually just sort of turn the water a bit more. So it just sheds water a bit a bit better and will last a bit longer. I'd say you probably, 
you know, if something's outside seven or eight years. Wow. So that's not too bad. And then come and make another one. I have got it in Whirl. There is one of my favourite, I mean, there's a few favourite pieces, but the, this is a living willow woman. And she's, she must be probably about 12 metres long. She's right by the roadside. At the moment, she's looking good because she gets uh, cut back every year. So she's come back to the right shape. And sort of end of the summer, she's looking a bit like a hedge, really. <laughs> she's lying on her side, so she's got... She's on her working title is Woman on the Rocks. She's on some of those big rocks they put to stop people driving on the grass. So she's sort of covering some of that. And there's head and shoulder and hip and legs. One year, well, it was a couple of years ago, I went to do the maintenance work. I go every year and bring her right give back her to show. Yeah, give her a trim. And I arrived. And what I really like is the sort of head and neck and shoulder, the shape and that sort of. There's just a peaceful, calm feeling about this shape. Uh, they arrive, and there, there is this might be a bit sad. There is this cat curled up dead, um, right in the in the sort of nape of just next to the nape of her neck, not run over. It clearly chosen. I mean, I'm who knows more things on heaven and earth. It clearly chosen that very peaceful little spot to curl up. The light side of it is. Just time. It was just time for him. The light side is that I rang the council to say that I'm not quite sure what to do with this cat. And then somebody, a woman passes and sees the cat. And I said, well, look, I don't, you know, work around it for the moment. And she comes back with a pet carrier and says, I'm going to take it to the vet. So I had to say, I, I think it's a little bit late for that. <laughs> but I think this is a dead cat. <laughs> I think this is a dead cat. No more. <laughs> this is a cat. No more. No, she did. She came back to me afterwards, and, and she said, "No, it's for the for the chip, of course." Of I hadn't course. thought of that. Yeah, and she came back and said, "No, they they did have the the chip registered, so the owner was told oh, about it." What a wonderful way to go, Carl. Well, I thought it was lovely. I yeah. mean, it was sad, you know, but it wasn't damaged. He, had, he just he just time. decided that's where he wanted yes. to die. Yeah. That's really flattering for me that an animal would do just that. Ruin this this chat. I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm in tears. Now. But just on the animal front, um, do I mean which which for me must be a, a, a glorious thought? Do animals nest? Birds nest? Oh yes, I was making once. Um, figure of a woman on the pat patio outside the back door and her blue tits going into her head going oh this is a really good <laughs> no no it's going to won't be staying there <laughs> yeah, no they do in fact a, a willow sculpture is in springtime it looks like a pile of nesting material so if it's not well made <laughs> they're gonna have it they're gonna have it yeah. oh how funny so they're going in and out of her head yes yeah, yeah. i suppose you're getting a bit worried when you notice they're taking sofas <laughs> and televisions no, this Moving is again. not going to be your permanent residence. No, that's right, yeah. <laughs> well, there's not many jobs that actually, or things you can make where, you know, the living world comes into your no, life. No, 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 no. It's so lovely. I mean, putting them out and, you know, I mean, I, I do like to see sculpture in the environment, but putting them out in the, a willow sculpture particularly, 
even though it, it is probably going to decay. Mostly they really don't look out of place. Mostly they're, they, I think they're, they look nice. Oh, I think they look more than nice. <laughs> Sophie, you. thank you so much for talking to us today. That was so moving, listening to Sophie again and her enthusiasm and love for everything to do with family and nature. I'd like to take a little bit of time now just to have some reflection. The bells that we recorded These bells were physically rung by Sophie for another podcast we recorded at Rodney Stoke Church. And I'd like to leave us just for a few minutes just to have a think about Sophie and what she meant to all of us. Forgive me now if I slightly change the mood. I'm going to play you a piece now that may surprise you. But just before we do that, I would like to pay tribute again to Sophie's family, to Tom, to Felix and Lucy, and thank them all for allowing us to re-edit this podcast and to say we are thinking about them so much. And also to thank Jeff Farney, who re-edited this programme. I was the voice. And let's see what's going to happen next. One of the things not everybody knows about Sophie is she loved to salsa. I remember seeing her years ago at the Draycott Memorial Hall. And my word, could she dance? So I like to think of her out there now on Draycott Moor, shaking her booty, dancing with her willow horse and the cat that she found nestled in the make of that beautiful sculpture. So go, Sophie. Go, go, go.